Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Audra McDonald. She's someone who needs no introduction for theater fans, who know her as the winningest actress in the history of the Tony Awards, with a record six trophies for performances in shows including Carousel, Masterclass, Porgy and Bess, and, most recently, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. She's widely beloved for her work in musicals, but she's equally at home in straight plays, like A Raisin in the Sun, which earned her one of her Tonys, and, like her latest Broadway outing, in Terrence McNally's romantic comedy, Frankie and Johnny in the Claire de Lune. She's also been in films, like the live-action remake of Beauty and the Beast, and had regular roles in TV shows, including Private Practice and, currently, The Good Fight, CBS All Access's critically hailed spinoff of The Good Wife. With Frankie and Johnny now playing at the Broadhurst Theater through August 25th, McDonald is in the studio with me to talk intimacy on stage, Broadway diversity, and why she calls her co-star Michael Shannon, The Rev. Hi, Audra. Thanks Hello. for being here. How are you? I'm good. Good. How is the show going? Um, it's going well. It's, um, you know, our audience response has been really lovely and, um, you know, vocal. I'm starting, you know, now that we're doing matinees and evenings, I'm starting to realize that some of the, um, like, some of our biggest responses are coming from the older audiences, mm. actually. Sometimes at, uh, like, in Wednesday matinees, you know, they're shouting bravo. And it's sort of interesting. Oh, yeah. You would think with a piece like this that has, you know, such frank sexuality yep. and nudity and all that stuff, but um, they're connecting with it. All the audiences are. Yeah. So, yeah. And you were saying, you were telling me, started to tell me just before we turned the mics on that uh, this feels even harder to you uh, than Lady Day. Tell us a little it bit about does. that. It does. You know, I've never done a two-hander before. This is my yeah. first time doing a two-hander. And um, Lady yeah, Day... For people who haven't seen it, you're on stage. You and Michael Shannon are on stage the, the whole entire time. time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, the uh, Lady Day, uh, playing Billie Holiday, I was on stage the entire time, and it was just me. Right. But because she's already in quite... A, a medicated state when she starts the show. You know, she's very, very drunk when she starts the show, and she just goes on a steady decline downward. So it's like a slow motion car wreck with that. But with Frankie and Johnny, um, yeah, I, I've just today been using this sort of analogy with it. It's like um, someone who is flatlined, who's then whose heart is then shocked back alive, and you see what happens on the the screen with the the lines just going up and down, up and down, up and down. That's right. what's happening with both of these characters. So one moment they're in the throes of, you know, ecstasy, and you know they're having this great climax and sex, and then the next minute they're laughing, and then the next minute she's trying to kick him out of her apartment, and the next minute. They're crying, and then the next minute they're eating meatloaf sandwiches. Right. I mean, it just goes all over the place emotionally. And so by the end of the night, uh, the hardest thing to do is to get up off of the the bench to take the curtain call because mm. we're just so exhausted uh, right. emotionally. We've been through it. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, you alluded to this uh, a little bit, but Frankie and Johnny opens pretty famously with a yeah. sex scene, sort of mid-coitus with yeah. a sex scene, and yeah. there is an extended sort of nude scene after. Mm-hmm. It's sort of about, you know, people being comfortable in bed mm-hmm. together with each other. Uh, how did How did you... Was there any trepidation for you about that, and how do you end up feeling comfortable with it? 
hell yes there was trepidation <laughs> um i said yes and then i said yes to doing this project because i i was just looking for something a little bit different um something you know something that was going to challenge me and the last show i did on broadway was a a big musical with tap dancing and all that and shuffle along and I loved that experience but I, I, I kind of knew that the next thing I wanted to do it needed to be something a little bit different to stretch me in a different way specifically a play yeah I think I knew I was looking for a play um, and so when Tom Curtihy the producer and also Terrence McNally's husband um, uh, emailed me and said what do you think Frankie and Johnny you and Michael Shannon I just said yes immediately um, and then Remembered what remembered. the play, <laughs> and then remembered. Oh, right, that's that opens that way, doesn't it? Um, and so I was, you know, I especially when Tom uh, emailed me over a year ago, uh, maybe more. You know, I I had I had a baby. You know, I'm geriatric pregnancy. I had a baby at 46, and so I was I was scared. And the, the more afraid I got, the more I realized I have to do it. You know. Um, but the, the show has done something very interesting. It's the first time on Broadway we've had an intimacy director. Right. Yeah. And so, tell tell yeah. listeners a little bit about what that is. An intimacy director um, is someone who comes in and she she choreographs the love scenes. She helps, you know, along with your input. She, Our intimacy director also choreographed our fight scenes. She's a fight director as well. Um, but she acts as um, sort of our, our, our advocate uh, before we even started working on the, the intimate scene. And it's the, the, the opening play, this huge, you know, opening scene of the play, this huge graphic sort of sex scene that's happening, um, calls for the nudity. It calls for it to be graphic. It, you know, he says all of this in the script. He says it, it's the real thing. So this is stuff that the, the, the playwright is demanding, you know. Um, and it's not gratuitous because right. uh, it's necessary for the story. But our, our intimacy director, Claire Ward, Ward, why am I saying like uh, Jeffrey? Claire, Claire Warden. Claire Warden. Because I'm sorry, I, my daughter has a friend named Claire Whelan, so I keep getting the two things confused. Right. One's an 18 year old girl, one's an intimacy director. <laughs> Claire Warden um, met with each of us separately, met with Mike and met with m- myself, and talk to us about what we're comfortable with, what areas of our body we are not comfortable with being touched or um, explored, um, uh, what our, our safety parameters were. And then she met with us together, and then uh, with the director, and then once we figured out the shape of what that scene needed to be, she came in and helped us figure out every sort of specific move like when someone's on top when someone's on bottom what's the safest way to do it where it looks real but you've got the safe space that you need all of that stuff um she gave us a mental way of checking in and checking out of the scenes you know she said she talked about i think i think intimacy directors need to be a thing forever and ever now because before you're just sort of fumbling around and not really knowing you know where the boundaries are and the director is not really getting that specific with you and so it was just always up to the actress to figure it out but and there was with no communication so you had no idea of knowing are you comfortable are you not comfortable wait well all of a sudden this has changed we weren't doing this three weeks ago and now we're doing this what's happening what all of that stuff is that's all eliminated with an intimacy director um because she and she says uh she does this thing where she checks in weekly with us but she also asks us to tap in and tap out which means you know you kind of just sort of do a high five and say all right we're tapping in 
now we're these characters. We're going to, you know, do this scene. And then you tap out at the end of the night. And that way, it's a, it's a mental way of telling your body, okay, all that may have felt real, but it's not. And I think those things are necessary because you have to go to those places to be actors, to do the, the, this intimate work that we have to do. But sometimes your body and your brain gets confused. I mean, that's why, you know, Hollywood romances and, and, and theater romances are known and marriages are known for breaking up all the time because you just, you all of a sudden, you're doing things that you should be doing with your only with your partner at home. You're doing with the stage of this other person. And uh, it's just easy to get confused with all that. An intimacy director helps put it all in its safe space and keep it there. Um, and so it's just, a, especially in this era of Me Too, I think it's a it's a really great way of, of moving forward in, in that arena and protecting everybody. That protects me, that protects Mike, that right. protects the production, it protects everybody. Right, yeah. How... W- how did you know Michael? First of all, did you know Mike before? Um, Not Michael personally. Before? Yeah. No. You'd never no, met him before. I'd never met him. Yeah. Um, once I'd said yes, because Mike has been attached to this for a while. I think once I said yes, uh, we all went out to lunch and had a lovely lunch with the Tom Curtihy and Mike. Yep. And then we did a, a two-week workshop where we just sat around the table with Aaron Arbus, our director, and Terrence. And we just sort of talked about the characters and read through the play a bunch of times. And then we started. Then we all said goodbye for seven months while he went off and did stuff, and I, I did the good fight. Right. And then um, April 9th, we started rehearsals. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we didn't know each other at all. And so what's he like to work with as an actor? He's, he's a dream. Yeah. He's an absolute dream. He's someone who's so committed to the work. I call him the rev sometimes because even when I'm starting to feel like, oh, gosh, this is hard or da 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 he just has – he just – he just has – he puts it all in such a – in such – a, you know, great perspective. You know, he's like, you know, sometimes when you have a weekend off, a theater weekend off, which is Sunday through Tuesday, you come back to your Tuesday night show and you, you're a little rusty or things aren't feeling right. And I, we, I was feeling that way. Uh, what's today? Thursday. So last Tuesday, I was feeling that way. And so at intermission, as we were walking up to our dressing room, I was like, oh man, I just don't know. I'm having a hard time. Just, it feels weird. And he said, all right. Here's my philosophy for Tuesday nights. You ready? And I was like, what? He's like, don't panic. Just don't panic. We know the play. We know the show. Don't panic. And I said, thank you, Rev. I'll see you in the second act. I mean, it's just stuff like that. Or even he talks about for us with each show, once we do it, that's it. It's gone. It happened. Don't don't try and recreate what we've done. Embrace the imperfection and know Is that, that hard you- sometimes as an actor? Yes, it is. I mean, a lot of time we're trying to recreate, well, I, I really nailed that last night, so I'm going to try that again. And, of course, it's not there because that was just a fleeting moment. That's what live theater is all about. And so instead it's just being present in the moment and letting what come, comes, but, you know, not trying to recreate and then panicking once you haven't. You know, it's about being present. You've worked with Terrence McNally's. You've done Terrence McNally's, uh, performed in Terrence McNally's work for a long time now. Yes. Back to Masterclass yeah. and Ragtime mm-hmm. and... How? Why do you enjoy working with him, and what do you enjoy about the characters that he creates? Oh, I think his characters are are just so full, and and three and four and five and six and eight dimensional characters. I mean, there's just you you you. I find that you never you never stop learning about these characters. I think there's just um, they're just such, such rich, colorful um, beings to inhabit. Um. Um, and there, he leaves with all of that. He leaves space for you too, within that. You know, and the fact that you know I'm playing a role that 
Kathy Bates and Edie Falco and Rosie Perez. I mean, I, I don't think you would ever say, oh, yeah, they're all a type. Right. <laughs> all, right. You know, but they're characters with such um, deep humanity that, um, you know, you can find yourself in them. And um, I think that's what a lot of his work, you know, how it speaks to audiences as well. Um, and then just being with Terrence, he's someone who's still... He's at 80 years old and having, you know, had a play on Broadway every decade for the last six yeah. decades. Just he, won the Lifetime Achievement. Just, yeah, and, and Tony's the, the other night. But he's someone who just, um, he's not jaded at all. He's still so, he's still a wide-eyed little boy about the theater and as in love with it today as he was, you know, as a, a, a young kid back in Corpus Christi, Texas. He's someone who, um, he, he, he loves actors, he loves them and um, admires them, and uh, he loves bringing people to the theater. He loves, uh, and I mean that just enticing them to it. He's someone who goes to theater all the time. He's at not just Broadway shows, off-Broadway shows, off-off-off-off-Broadway shows. He sees everything, and everything moves him. He's so moved by this art form, and that's infectious, you know, and it makes you want to really respect the work, respect the craft, and and um, give of your all to the work and the craft, um, because he sees it as the, the magical, uh, brilliant art form that it is. So shame on you if you bring anything less than your a game to it. What do you bring specifically to Frankie in terms of you, you mentioned all these other actresses who you um, don't consider a type, and every actor sort of brings their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, pieces of themselves to to a role what what do you bring to Frankie? well um it's interesting you know because people will say well you know yeah right you're a diner waitress yeah right you're someone you know some people will say you don't you're not the right type to play frankie aren't you supposed to be this glamorous sort of broadway star how could you be playing this role um but frankie is someone who is emotionally traumatized and damaged and shut down and um, you know she's a victim of domestic violence so she's got PTSD from that and there's just enough in my life and enough in uh, my own psyche in terms of what I think of myself what I think of how I look how I've been in the past how I felt about myself um, love's lost pain from love that I've felt and gone through that I, I can understand um, maybe I took a different, I made a different choice about love, but I could understand how someone could then just sort of wall themselves off and, you know, cover themselves in armor and chain mail and say, I'm, I'm going to protect myself at all costs and uh, not let anybody in ever again. Um, I understand that. So that's what I see. What feels uh, particularly resonant to you uh, with what's going on today in the world about doing this play now? Well, we have all of these ways of connecting and communicating with each other nowadays, don't we? You know, you got the Snapchat and the WhatsApp and the Instagram and Facebook and Twitter head and all this stuff. And and in some ways, we're more alone than ever. We're more disconnected than ever. Um, you know, oh, yeah, that's a friend of mine on Facebook. It's like, yeah, but we, I, I, I don't see you. I don't talk to you. I just, I just you know see that you had you know steak tartare you know for breakfast and and you took a lovely picture of it you know 
Um, so there's there's a still that as as more Borg like that we become. Um, that's a Star Trek <laughs> reference. Oh, yeah. I'm a Trekkie, so sure, yeah, the yeah. Borg. The more we become like the Borg, um, I think we're forgetting that there's still we're still human, and there's still this you know innate need um, for true connection and um, and um, and and that it's scary to do but in order to fully be human and 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 uh feel and like are we really alive are you really i mean if you've experienced love i mean all of that i mean this play addresses all of that um you know johnny talks about in the play um you know i'm afraid that there's i'm trapped inside this person trapped inside this body longing to connect and I keep just bumping into someone else who's also trapped inside a body that just longs to connect. And, and if we don't connect, we're going to die. And um, so I think that's very re- that's a very resonant thing right now. Speaking of things that are uh, have a lot of contemporary resonance, let's talk a little bit about the Good Fight, which uh, mm-hmm. fairly recently ended its third season. Yes, and uh, will uh, gear up for the fourth, presumably at some point in I the don't fall. Know. Yeah, yeah, we'll start again in the fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that is, I mean, it is like really ripped from the headlines. That show <laughs> is that part of the. You're also you're pretty outspoken on Twitter, and you're you mm-hmm. know you're very clear about sort of who you are and what you believe. Was that part of the attraction for uh, working on a project like that? Well, I didn't. You know, I mean, uh, the attraction for me was getting a chance to work with the Kings. I think Robert and Michelle King are just brilliant writers and, and showrunners. And they just to say, just to remind people now, this was a character you played on the Good the Wife. The Good Wife, right? yes, back just in, one episode, right? Just once, yeah. And then, and, and now you're back. Yeah, and they, you know, they decided to give her a quite a backstory and then yeah. throw her into this world. Um, and so for me, the opportunity was to work with them uh, and to work with Christine Baranski, yep. I, who I'd known for years and loved for years and admired for years and always wanted to work with her. So now we're getting a chance to be together. Um, and obviously, I loved the premise of the show. I loved that she's the diversity hire in an all-African-American law firm, you know, reeling from Trump being elected. I loved that premise. But I didn't know where they were going to put me in terms of my, you know, my my Audra's politics as opposed to Liz's politics because right. it, within the show we have a character uh, you know one of the the Michael Boatman's character uh, oh, right. Julius he's he's a Republican he's conservative he voted for Trump that that's his character within the show so I didn't know where I was going to land in that but I love that we were in that in that landscape you know and that they were pushing pushing the envelope and um and the way that they you know because it's on all access we've got the freedom to you know we can cuss if we have to or you know the fact that we have these animated shorts we just sort of go into these sort of wild sort of esoteric uh ways of and and sometimes absurdist ways of storytelling or the fact that we have one episode this past season where christine baranski is having an argument with a bruise Right. In the shape of yes. Donald Trump on the back of her husband. I mean, so they, they um, Robert and Michelle King are not afraid to um, uh, to really explore all the different ways you can um, tell a story. Um, Had, did you ever, was there a time where you ever got any scripts and you, or a script and you read it and thought, oh, I can't believe we're going to do that. Every script. Really? Every script of theirs. And the thing is, they're also, they're not... Um, 
because they, you know, we, we have African American writers in our writing room, which is wonderful and necessary, especially for a show like for this. Sure, yeah. Um, but they are also very open, um, uh, Robert and Michelle. So, like the first episode I did, where uh, it was, I was uh, the third season where I'm finding out about the fact that my father has been, you know, sexually assaulted. Had he's dead now, but he has assaulted all these women, his his uh, secretary and stenographer and all that. Um, they had a scene where I come in to talk to the the one secretary that he assaulted for years to try and talk to her about a non-disclosure agreement and uh, the script had me saying something about my father but using really foul language. And the woman uh, playing the secretary is supposed to be of a certain age, would certainly be considered an elder to Liz's character. And I said to Robert and Michelle, I can't, I mean, I say the F word all the time on the television show, I said, but I cannot say that in front of this character. I said, Liz would not do that within, I mean, I don't know other cultures, but I know my own African-American culture, and I know there's no way that she would say, fuck him. Well, now fuck him to an elder, especially a female elder. It wouldn't be done. And they said, thank you. Thank you. That, thank you. I mean, so it's, in that sense, they're wonderful. They're very collaborative. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is, this, am I right about this? This is your last real sort of ongoing TV gig since private practice? Is that? Yes. Yeah. What? Yes. Yeah, right? Um, do, you, do you like TV work? Do you enjoy doing it? I do, I do. I um, I was very afraid of the camera um, prior to pri- private practice because I just, you know, it was just this, you know, monstrosity in my way. As I and I was just afraid. Well, I better not breathe. I better not move. I better not do anything because it'll look strange. And I just didn't understand how to work with it. So um, private practice gave me an opportunity to learn to get used to a camera and. Um, uh, to find my artistic self in front of a camera. What was the know? key to that? For me, it was um, starting to treat the camera like I would the audience. Mm. Um, once the camera stopped being this thing that was scrutinizing me right in my face and and and, and seeing it for me um, specifically as an audience in a the theater. That's just that's where the audience is. I mean, which is duh. That makes sense. You know, of course it makes sense. But for me, once I put the audience there, I was no longer afraid of this machine. The machine no longer was a machine to me. It was something that was going to just judge me. Instead, it was like, oh, this is how. This is where the people I need to communicate with are. And um, so I became less afraid of it. You know, when you're working 14, 16 hour days, day in and day out, you get used to it. And so. Um, so yeah, so I um, I was thrilled about my time on private practice to really get that. And but the hard thing about being in private practice was I was commuting, the shoots in L.A. and yeah. my family was here in New York, and that yeah. got too hard. And good fight is here in New York. Yes, I just have to commute to Greenpoint, be, yes. <laughs> which on some days, believe me, is as long as getting to L.A. No, sure. <laughs> but for the most part, I get to sleep in my own bed every night. Right. So yeah, it feels to me though that you gravitate most toward your stage work is that is that that's from an outsider's perspective do you feel that way is yes that, is that where you're at home yes yeah. you know it's like what's your first language if your first language is english my first language in the arts was was the stage you know so that's where i feel the most comfortable Would, do you have a sense of how learning to work with the camera uh has influenced the way you um act on stage yes oh very much so i find that in um, the time since I've you know was doing private practice and now um, the good fight, I find that what that 
gives me when I get back on stage is I'm I'm finding uh, I'm learning how to relax more on stage and find more specificity um, than I I used to have on stage and that's because you know in camera work you don't have to do as much you have to think loudly right um, and uh, so that has helped inform my work on stage. Obviously, that then has to translate to the back of the house and whatnot. Yeah, I was going to say that must be a challenge. It is a challenge, but at the same time, it's informing. It's making sure that my work. Sometimes on stage, you can get. Sometimes you can get away with less specific work because. Because we're farther away. We're farther or, away. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's 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 helped me to at least begin to understand the depth of the specificity that needs to be there. I'm not saying that I've mastered it. You don't ever master it, but, you know, I understand that I need to work on it. Yeah. And how do you think of screen work as sort of fitting into your overall career? Like, were you looking for another TV show? Did this sort of No, this fell in my lap. It really did. I was in London doing Lady Day. and right. um, which you did after Broadway. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they called, and I, I had a, a tour planned, a concert tour planned, and... Right. So I thought, well, they're never going to say yes to this because I have I can't I can't cancel these dates. And they said we'll make it work. Uh, Robert and Michelle said we'll make it work. So I was able to do both, which um, put a few more of the crow's feet in my <laughs> eyes and here, and plus the baby. But um, yeah. no, it was um, it, it was something that really fell in my lap. I don't think I'm ever truly planning anything I mean the master plan is grow evolve try things that scare you and then touch wood or formica whatever this yeah, is yeah I think it's um, formica but yeah yeah or let's do that yeah. um, a, a life seems to present the right thing at the right time for me I've been very lucky and how do you think about you mentioned your concerts you, you know you perform in concerts pretty regularly how what do you get from that that uh, you enjoy doing oh you know there's no fourth wall it's mm. me in the audience um you know, the other thing is you can play 500 different roles one night in a concert. You know, I can, you know, I can be Desiree from Little Night Music and I can be, I don't know, Dorothy from The Wiz on the same night. You know, I get to um, explore in that sense. And so it's, um, that's a joyous thing. The hard thing about that is the touring is going all over the country, you know. But um, I, I, I do enjoy being able to, like, rip down that fourth wall and, and be with the audience in a very um, open way. Right. And then the joy of just soaring above an orchestra or my incredible band either is also a lot of fun. Yeah. When's your next – do you have a concert lined up or – Oh, I have a bunch in the in September, mm. but don't ask me where they are. I okay. don't. I don't know. I go where they tell me. <laughs> I show up in the airport and say, "Where am I going?" And I go, right. yeah. "Yeah." Uh, your first Broadway credit was in the early '90s um, in the Secret Garden, mm-hmm. which I didn't know until I just looked it up. It was right <laughs> right before uh, Carousel. Yeah, um, it was in Nick, Nicholas Heitner's uh, revival of Carousel mm-hmm. in '94. Uh, how do? What's your sense of how Broadway has changed since then? Um, I we're seeing more. I think I'm seeing more diversity for sure. Yeah, than, that was going to be my next question. Is yeah, what you, where you think we stand on that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, yes, there is more diversity. Um, yes, long shot of by, by a long shot there is. You know, I mean, I remember trying to get an audition for one of the revivals of Les Mis at some point, and then being like, well, who are you going to play? You know, you can't. 
do that, you no. know. And that's that would never happen now. No. Never. Not in a million years. But back when I was first starting and that was that was still very much the case. Mm. I would say um, we obviously um, we need to work on the gender diversity in um, you know the the creative powers in, in Broadway yeah. a little bit more. Yeah, it is. It is still notable when a female is a director, as your show is directed by uh, not by only a Aaron female Arbus. director, a female uh, lighting designer, yeah. and the female uh, production stage manager, and the female uh, intimacy director. Yeah, right. but yeah, we've got, we've got a long way to go as far as that's concerned. Um, but yeah, that's that, that's what I would say. And there's just the awareness. Right. Let's put it that way too. Now, like when I was first starting on in Broadway, um, you'd see all white all white ensemble, and no one would think anything about it. Right. You see an all white ensemble now, and people go, "Where's the? There's that's an all white ensemble. Yeah. Where is there? I don't see any color up there, and that's noticeable now. Whereas before, people had blinders on. Yeah. That. And feels less real, and feels the reaction is always pretty. Instantaneously, yeah. the minute you see it, absolutely, you know, you know, yeah, right, yeah. So we've 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 made some progress. Yeah, yeah. Over the course of your career, is there a role that you think of as the one that got away? That I wish I had played. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, I, I wanted to play Eliza Doolittle at some point, and that I'm way pa- I can play her mother now. I mean, I'm way past <laughs> not her mother, but you know, Freddie's mother. Yeah, Freddie's mother, sure. Um, but even in that, we have a black Freddie Einsford Hill right now. It's just, yeah, it's, that's it's, right. It's a whole yeah. new world now. Um, but uh, no, hmm. I, I well, yes. I mean, as far as my fair lady, I could obviously not play that role now. Um, and that has nothing to do with my color and every much. Everything to do with my age. <laughs> um, she's a flower lady. Kind of because <laughs> she's a flower frau. <laughs> um, I wanted to play Sally Bowles at one time. I think oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a little long in the tooth for that now. Um, but uh, there's still roles out there that I'm looking at and I'll try and reach for. What roles do you think of as being particularly formative for you? Ruth in A Raisin in the Sun, right. Sharon in Masterclass. Obviously, I mean, they all were in some way. Sure. Um, Zoe Caldwell, um, she's, I love her, and she's an amazing woman, and we did Masterclass together, and she was very, she's a very blunt woman. Um, she doesn't have it in her to lie to you. And that's a wonderful thing, um, because if she loves you, she'll tell you that. And if she's furious with you, she will tell you. And if she doesn't think that you've done your best, she will tell you that, too. And uh, I think we were deep into the run on Broadway. And before we did the Broadway run of Masterclass, we did it in Philadelphia, and then we did it in L.A., and then we did it in Washington, D.C., and then we came to Broadway. And we were deep in the run on Broadway, and she said, You know, darling, when we first started, you weren't an actress. You were very talented, but you weren't an actress. Now you're an actress. And I, 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 mean, I didn't know where she was going when she started. But I was like, okay, here it comes. I don't know what she's going to say. But I know that that role was formative for me because I started to understand some things about acting that I had. I mean, I, didn't, I never studied acting formally. So, but being on the stage with that hurricane, uh, that five-foot-two hurricane called Zoe Caldwell every night, you're not going to come away with at least some 
knowledge of what you lack. <laughs> you may not be able to say you're as a great actress, but you're going to understand what you you know what's there to discover because it's 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 writ large in front of you every single night. You know, um, so I, I I would consider that to be hugely formative that role. Let's say you've got fifteen million dollars to mount a show, a dream show. The show you want to be in and choose all your collaborators. What do you do what? with it? What? <laughs> How much time you got? <laughs> no. Um, I, I'm still passionate about doing an all-female um, revival of Sweeney Todd with me playing Sweeney. Sold. <laughs> and, in fact, I think I saw something about that. And, yeah, and I really want to do that. you suggested Christine Baranski. Christine Baranski as Mrs. For, Lovett. I mean, Come right. on. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. The fuck on! I'm sorry. Excuse me for saying that, but that would be amazing, Christy. Oh my gosh, we'd have so much fun. Um, yeah, that's the one that's first and foremost in my mind right now. All female. Um, I don't. I don't. You know. Yeah, I mean, maybe Rachel Chacon would direct it. I don't know. Sure, great. Oh God, why not? <laughs> Wee-hoo. <laughs> right. And what is next for you after uh, Frankie and Johnny? You mentioned the fall. You've got some tour dates. Yeah. Tour dates, and, and I go back to the good, good fight. fight and yeah. Then, yeah. And then... There's maybe another yeah. musical in my future, yeah. but let's, let's, let's okay. give it a minute. Let's, let's, let's get some kids off to college sure. and, you know, <laughs> let's get one out of diapers and, right. you know, we'll see. Right. Yeah. Well, we can't wait to see what it is. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thanks, Audra. Thank nice you, Gordon. Thank That was Audra McDonald, who stars with Michael Shannon in Frankie and Johnny in the Claire de Lune, now playing at the Broadhurst Theater through August 25th. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, I'd very much appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, or tell a friend. On the next episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Hilary Bettis and Caroline V. McGraw, two of the new group of writers who have stepped up to lead the Kilroys, the playwright-producer collective fighting for gender parity on American stages. Thanks for listening, and until next time, see you at the theater. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.